it's just like, yeah, I'm getting tired of it because like I know he's a great player. Speaking of Lavia, he he bossed Enzo as well. They'll call him on Twitter and Zonzi. No, they can't do that. Enzo had a good game. They can't do that. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the B2B podcast. It's been a while since we've been with you. Um, I'm Karis, and I'm with my co-host as usual, Denzel. Uh, Kevin couldn't make it for today, but it's okay because we've got two fill-ins that are going to help. So we've got my good friend Yusuf, and we've also got my other good friend Junior. So I'll let them both introduce yourself. So again, just say your names if you want to, and tell us where we can find you on any social. So yeah, Yusuf, you go first. Yo, what's up, guys? I'm Yusuf. You might have known me being on here before a few times. You can find me at, at inside seven double underscore on Twitter and on TikTok at Yusuf H seven double underscore. And you are the United fan for today, so yeah. yeah. And I'm in a very good mood today. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, and you as well, Junior? Um, All right, so I'm Junior. Um, You might know me as Raheem7i on Twitter. Um, So I'm Raheem7i on Twitter. I also have a TikTok, Raheem7i. Um, I'm a City fan, so I'm basically going to be... I'm going to be a City fan for this pod, yeah. Were you a City City fan before or after the oil money, bro? But yeah, I think um, the first game we should probably talk about is the Arsenal Villa game because I feel like this was quite an important game in terms of obviously Karras being an Arsenal fan, he can already tell you when they lost that game to City. The first thing I did is I got on the phone and I told him, Bro, your title charge is done. Oh, you and Kevin, your title charge is (laughs) all right. It's the same old that Pepper's like the Undertaker, he's always going to be there, bro. (laughs) <laughs> He's always going to be watching. And I told you, your title thing is done. But for them to come back and turn it around and win 4-2, shout out my boy Jorginho as well. Obviously, you know, he's a special place in my heart as a Chelsea fan. But yeah, Karis, let's talk about that. No, I told you, man. I told you it's not over. Like, I can't lie. After the City game, it felt so peak because of, you know, on socials, I could just see London United fans that were just chatting about, oh, Gary Neville was right. We told you, Lord, title challenge over. Every fan miss was waiting for us to fail. Like, I couldn't believe the amount of people that were on City's side, innit? But I was like, you know, it's calm. I was saying to people, like, that I know in real life and that, that this is not the city of old where, you know, they win one game and go on some mad winning run. Like, you know how they used to be, in it, Like, with Sane and Sterling and them, man. It's not, this is not them anymore. So I kind of had hope that, you know, City will still drop points somewhere and it's just about us focusing on ourselves because we were level one points at the time um, with a game in hand against Everton on the 1st of March, which I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, so, yeah, in regards to the game, I was, I, I was optimistic. Then when it starts, like, third minute, Zinchenko loses the ball, Matty Cash plays some mad ball over the top to Watkins and then Watkins just, like... 1v1 Saliba and bangs it bottom corner. When I saw that, I was like, yeah, top challenge over. That's it. <laughs> I was, what were you man thinking when that first goal went in, went in? Well, I mean, if you remember, I said to you in our group chat that um, Villa would go 1-0 up and Arsenal would go on to win. Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, um, I, I said that. So. I was of the same mind as you. I thought, like, the title was over. But, like, Arsenal just capitulated completely and, like, we were going to win. 
Yeah, you're probably watching that as a City fan thinking, this, this is it, this is our time now. He was licking his lips. Yeah. He had to smile <laughs> on his face. <laughs> no, you know what? I thought um, it was early days. I was like, look, Arsenal have time to get into this, but this is a, a test of your mental strength again. I, I said to Karis after the City game that actually the City game could turn out to not be a bad thing for Arsenal going forward because as a contending team, you need these tests. And Arsenal are newly contending teams. So they need that test in their mentality. It could have gone one or two ways. It could either have been what derails them or it could be that shift of, all right, we really need to switch on that, that kick up the arsehole most. Mm. And the one, one United fan that I really like respect in terms of in the media is Rio Ferdinand. He kind of said that, you know, Arsenal are always going to have this little bump in the road or this little blip. Every champion has it, to be honest. Or every yeah. like contending champion has this sort of like bump in the road. And it's about how we respond to it. So, yeah, I guess... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. you was saying, it was needed to be honest. It can um, always be like smooth sailing all the way. Like, as much as like this isn't the days of like the invincible season was like it was a one-time thing. We can't expect every team that's contend for the title which is like this is not Mourinho with that defence that's conceded. Yeah, where we conceded fifteen <laughs> goals in the whole year. Like yeah, just, yeah, we're not there no more. Yeah, like football's changing. Yeah. Like, it's way more competitive now. You have to expect, you know, like games that like, no games are given anymore. The Premier has changed so much. Back in the day. Certain matchups, you look at it on paper and you're like, yeah, like this team is going to win. Whereas now you can look at, like, for example, City and Forest. It could go either way. Whereas if that was like 10, 15 years ago, if Forest were in the league, everyone would be like, oh, yeah, like they're going to get smoked like 4 0. Whereas now it's like, it's literally a toss up. Going back to Ferdinand, I actually think, all right, he's got the, the reputation of him and what he actually is as an analyst, as a pundit, is very different. Like, he just gets really carried away sometimes. He lets his love for United really shine through. But <laughs> in general, he actually offers a lot of insight, I think. I, I quite enjoy listening to him. It's just every now and then he chats a bit of shit because he just loves United that much. He can't hide it. And I'm like, come on, man. He's not, <laughs> he's not worse than Neville, though. Uh, not, not many are worse than Neville. Like him, him and Carragher, they're in the bin. Oh, them too. Yeah. They are not pundits. They I, I remember seeing like I remember seeing an article after the game after like one say game that said like Harlan was not a good fit for City. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Oh, that was Carragher in there. And he did like some whole thing. He said like City Harlan doesn't fit City. And I'm like, bro, this guy's on course to break, not not to break, destroy the Premier League scoring record. In fact, yeah. he's gonna break the record from when the season had 42 games. It's a joke. Yeah, it's funny, but yeah, to continue to get back on subject. So we were sort of like getting to the game and I think one positive, I could see Jorginho was like, you know, talking to the people around him, like, you know, like calm down. He was telling Ben White, you know, make a few more runs because he was staying a little bit too narrow. He wasn't really like making runs in behind. Then he did that. Jorginho chipped over the defence and we had a chance at some point. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, Saka got the equaliser, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. that volley, that volley was special. Yeah. Is him, man? Just I think we're gonna, we're gonna talk about Saka hundred percent. I want to try to get through the events of the game and what happened. So, um, then after I thought, okay, we were like dominating a little bit. Like we were starting to like you know pass it around a bit more. We still weren't at our best, to be honest. Um, then I think a theme of the first half was a lack of intensity in our pressing and. In fact, not just the first half, it's been a theme in the last few games where we've gone a little bit too complacent and not pressed teams to the full potential that we have done 
in previous games, for example, we had Gabriel Jesus and stuff. So then I think there was one point where Ben White's position was very poor. It was like very square on then. Alex Moreno gets him behind, crosses it when Diego does a dummy and then Coutinho gets his first goal since like August or something. And that's what yeah, I was last like. Last season. Ironically oh, against this... too. So what do you say? I said ironically against us too. Against Zilo. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, just, I thought so, it was quite funny. Um, Ramsdale, he he kind of dived the wrong way. I get why, because in that position, you always expect a right footer to go for the opposite corner. But actually, yeah. I think because Gabriel was covering that side, Coutinho saw the gap there. That's what I was thinking. Why are you diving there when there's two people covering? I was so pissed at Ramsdale. Like, in fact, most Arsenal fans were when they saw that. Yeah, I saw Arsenal fans apologizing to Edison. <laughs> what? <laughs> Ramsdale is better than Edison. That's oh, yeah, hard. definitely. Yeah, he is definitely, but we were all, all of our heads were on fire, I'm telling you. Like, any Arsenal fans tweets are, oh. and then, so, when you go to the second half, I think Arteta just told them, just, you know, do the basics more, and just, you know, the simple, like, passes, the simple running into spaces, as we've always been doing all season, then... I guess we've seen more ourselves. Like, I think Erdegaard especially was one player that really grew into the game and he was outstanding in the second half. Yeah. If, if Erdegaard, I'm just going to say, if Erdegaard scored that open goal, we'd be talking about that as like, wow, that is a captain's performance. Like a guy, he really put that team on his back and dragged them through that. If he, you know. And uh, you know what, right? Obviously, I didn't want Arsenal to win, but I, I, I like Erdegaard a lot. I actually felt like mm-hmm. fairly relieved for him that, his miss turned out to be inconsequential because I knew all of the narratives that would go around about him, but he was fantastic that half. He was so, so good. I was watching him and I was like, this is a number 10. I yeah. swear he made like six chances or something. Something like that. Something crazy. Yeah. Something like he's such an immense player. Like He's one of those players that make you really understand football is more than just goals and assists. Like He gets solid ratings every week, whether he's like whether even if he hasn't scored or not, like he's the heartbeat of that midfield. If you take yeah. him out, it's a very completely different Arsenal side. Like he is the driving factor of that team. And the fact that he's still like what 24? Like he's mad young, but he's just you can see that he's ready for this level. Like he's made for the Premier League. And Arteta has completely changed his game as well. Like there was always a player in him, but the way he's playing now, like he's just the only other person that can chat to him at this point is De Bruyne. You know, I always upset with Odegaard. Someone, it's not even a case if he needs coaching or anything. Someone finally just needs to sit him down and tell him how good at football he actually is. Yeah. Because you can see his brain, his technical level, is on a different level to everybody else. He just... You see that pasta and ketchup that he made? Yeah. Yeah. But then it, it was but then it was the dribble before him. Like, completely... All right, it's not hard to do Tyra Mings, let's be wrong, but he completely takes Tyra Mings out and then waits the pass perfectly. He just... He does things that make you go wild. Honestly. Yeah. He's my favourite yeah. After Saka, he's my favourite player to watch. If there's one thing to say in regards to the title race, um, a lot of teams need finishing lessons. And we're very much at the top of the team that needs finishing lessons as well. I will say that. Because yeah. Enketia had like two headers. One where he headed onto the bar for one yard, yard out and he was lucky that it was offside anyway. Then another header, which he didn't really get over it enough and hit the bar again. And then he had that effort from Erdogan where he tried to chip it, which you're never going to chip Emmy Martinez properly from there. But do you and know why? It doesn't, it doesn't show up as much for you guys because the sheer volume of chances you make 
Like, yeah. you're bound to put away one of them. Whereas a team like Chelsea... We bear, we're just about creating. And we're so <laughs> fucking shit up front anyway. That we don't score. So... 100 million on the Yeah, like, with, like volume, volume is always going to save you at the end of the day. Like, if you're peppering the box, like, 20 shots a game, one of them is going to go in, like, just by simple law of averages. Yeah, and another thing, I know I've talked a lot, but another thing that's also going to decide the title race is individual actions as well. And so, for example, Ramsdale made a very key save, which we're criticising them, to be fair, and rightly so. He made a very key save from Leon Bailey to hit it onto the bar. Gabriel made like a really vital tackle on Bailey as well. Um, I'm trying to think what else happened that was very key. Jorginho of that shot from distance yeah. is a very key moment. Even for United, you see how Rashford in individual actions is really saving United. So I'm telling you, every team needs someone that can Rely win matches. Yeah. And, and with United, I think even Bruno to an extent is kind of saving them season. Mm-hmm. Bruno, Bruno today was fantastic, but... Actually, I'd also say Casemiro, like you watch our midfield with him and without him, even Thursday, it was like a fairly met performance from Casemiro, but we weren't being walked through midfield. We had a guy that put in our fires, whereas today it was just pure chaos. Yeah. Like yeah, his is enough to just stabilize it anyway, because he's that good. Like a bad I, I think his pure presence, there's some footballers where you say the fact that they're just on the pitch makes a difference to their team. And I think Casper is one of those footballers. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's individuals and individual action that just make such a difference. But yeah, before we move on to move on from Arsenal, um, the two players that I want to talk about, I'm first going to start with Jorginho before I move on to Bakayoko. Say sorry right now. Say sorry right now. <laughs> apologise right now. When I told you he was a great sign-in and you didn't want to hear it, Karis, I want you to apologise right now. I already apologized. I don't know if you saw you saw my tweet. I put that you know the guy that was singing that mount. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I told him under Arteta, Jorginho is gonna cook. And it happened. I said, look, I know what type of player he is. Look, fair enough, like he's not the most pretty player to watch, but I'm telling you, when it comes to someone that can do the basics great and just links the midfield nicely and has that composure, you're not gonna find another player like him. Do you know what it is? That game is like, I saw the good and the slightly ugly Jorginho. So the ugly, I'll say, was in the first goal for um, Oli Watkins. He had no idea whether to go and press forwards or, you know, run back with any of the markers. And that's where the goal ended up being conceded. Mm-hmm. But then I saw the good or Jorginho, which was his leadership. And also he was playing a lot of very good passes to break the lines. So... For what he lacks, like for what he lacks in dynamism and pace, he brings everything else. Like he can hit a great pass, whether it's first time or like a long ball over the top or whatever. You know, he's not that fast, fair enough. Like he's at 30 something now. And sometimes his positioning can be a little suspect, but everything else that he does great, you need that for a team. And especially because your team is so young, I think it's helped also in the backroom side of things that you have such an experienced player. He's won Champions League. You know, he's won the European Cup. Like, he's competed at the very top level. You need that. I said that he's almost been coaching the players behind the scenes as well. Yeah, because, like, your team's average age is, like, what, 25? 23 or 24. Yeah, or probably even lower. Younger like, teams, right? Huh? Yeah. Probably one of the younger teams in the league. Yeah, I think they have probably the youngest or second youngest team in the league. Like, you need a player like Jorginho there just to 
balance that out and bring that experience and calmness to the team. Like in a game like that, where you know you concede early, some of the young players might be feeling like, oh, like we kind of fucked it. Where he the ones that like, nah, like look, there's time left on the clock. We can study this out. Everyone just relax, play your role. Like you've been here before, just do what you have to do. On Jorginho, funnily enough, um, I made a TikTok video on the day he joined deadline day, and I said, I analyzed the good and bad, so I said, in possession, this guy fits a Mikel Arteta 6 perfectly. He's a guy who understands tempo well, keeps it moving, he's very composed on the ball, but also, the, I like how I said he's shouting a lot, like shouts been white, he instructs players and build up what to do. He's got a very good understanding of the dynamics around him, as well as just what he himself is doing which is so valuable in a player I feel like in a sixth especially is so important to and that's why sixes generally make such good managers Arteta himself for example they are so involved with every phase that they have to know what goes on around them but I said with Jorginho as well defensively having him and Zinchenko so Arsenal play a 2-3-5 shape in possession Jorginho and Zinchenko are two of that three in the midfield line and I said having him and Zinchenko both in that line can be risky defensively because they're both positionally quite good players but you can just bulldoze past them sometimes yeah. like, I know it's I'm, I'm not a like oh run running physicality kind of guy but sometimes you quite literally just can do that and that's where I feel there is a little bit of weakness and we did see that in the Villa game we saw Villa could transition a bit too easily sometimes but so it showed, it showed the good and bad but it was more good than bad yeah yeah Um. so another player that I want to talk a lot about is Bakaya Saka and Honestly, every week I run out of superlatives to describe this guy. Like, where so many players in this title race have sort of lost their heads, other than Jorginho, the other player who I say hasn't lost his head much has been Bukayo Saka for sure. And once again, he's been getting kicked quite a few times in a few games. But regardless of all this, you know, if I rattle off a few stats, he won the most duels in the game with 11 duels. He... Had the most dribbles completed of four dribbles. Um, in terms of chance creation, I didn't check how many he created, but he still created like a decent amount. Um, and obviously he got his goal with that wonderful volley. And it's just something that he's one of two players that has been producing every week, rather yeah. being Marco Rashford. Yeah. So um, he's been, forget world class, he's been elite level this season. Like the best right winger in the world for me. And I say that with so much confidence and like it's not a doubt for me but I don't know what you guys have been thinking in terms of Saka do you know what I was thinking that's not even like football like playing ability related that I really liked to to see from Saka in that game yeah I don't know if you've seen that quote from Henri where he's like you know to be the best player you can't be a nice person yeah believe that you're better than everybody and that you kind of need to be like a bit of a dickhead I liked that confrontation Saka had because there's just when he pushed Coutinho yeah yeah I loved it like, it just shows that there's that animal in him because I feel like because he's generally, like, a nice person, quote-unquote, because he's mm-hmm. always smiling or whatever, I think people see him as a bit of, like, a, a pushover sometimes because they he's always... the like, Kante treatment, basically. Yeah, it's the Kante treatment all over again, bro. Like, mm-hmm. they just see him as, like, cool. Like, he's this young kid who's really good and, like, he always seems to be happy. Like, oh, like, he must just be, like, some kind of, like, little, like, flower or something. Like, no, like, he showed that, bro, like, I, I will scrap on this pitch if I have to right now. Like, I he's, love, almost yeah. he's almost showing like I'm the leader of this team. Yeah, yeah, I loved it because football lacks that element sometimes. Sometimes players are like too nice or like, you know, something flares off and they want to be, you know, they want to look good for the media. But like, he just didn't care. He was like, yeah, you got us right now. Yeah, yeah. we're going to go right now. We'll go. <laughs> I love 
Like, you know, for me as an elite player, I think you have to carry a certain level of arrogance about you. Like, you need to have some bites about you if you want to be an elite player. And I think Saka does that really well. I think he leads by example. He's been one of the best Arsenal players this season. And if you take him out of the team, the the title charge just collapses completely, honestly. I don't know which winger could replace him in the form he's in right now. I think I agree with Carriers that like he's the best right winger in the world right now. I think he's just a very you can see his mentality in how he plays. I think at the forefront of ev- everything about him, all right, he's got so many good qualities, but the thing that stands out most to me is his mentality because it stands out in everything he does. Every single action you can see, there's that fight, there's that desire to just drive the team forward to do everything he can. He's a special player, and I think. The icing on the cake for Arsenal fans is that he came from the academy. Like they didn't have to pay like a mad fee for him or anything. Like he's a homegrown like player, like made in their back end, and he's come through into the first team. And it's just another thing as well, which is probably a more underrated aspect of it is I think for the Hayland boys as well, they look at Saka and they think that could be me. Like there's a chance for me to break through into yeah. the first team. Yeah. And I think that actually helps Arsenal retain young players. That they can see they've got mainstays like Saka there, you know, Smith Rowe, who's coming back to fitness and who will be integrated into the team more later on. There's a path for you young boys to come through. Like, whereas a team like Chelsea, it's yeah, you know, it's you know, some some of you make it, some of you end up playing in the Spanish Mario Hutchins, they went to you, he's not gonna get a chance. <laughs> yeah, like even that as well, it's just like we'll talk about that in the Chelsea section, but yeah, we, the way we handle youngsters is is hot and cold. Yeah. I think it's a good time to move on to our next section. And I think I know Yusuf is waiting and waiting to talk about United. So I know we should talk about City, but I think we'll go on to that later. So United against Leicester, they won 3 0. It could have been more, honestly. Yeah. And it was an interesting game because from the first half, I think Leicester had a few chances. And if it wasn't for De Gea, for once, actually having a good performance. <laughs> well, I, would, I, would, I would actually go as far as to say that's De Gea's best performance since that game against Arsenal in 17-18, where he just... That's a long crazy. time, you know. Hey, we need that, to, that, to be fair, he was one of the worst players in the league for a few years after yeah. that season. Kevin <laughs> 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 was but, here, he made so much. <laughs> no, but you know what, like, okay. Today, he's always made good saves. Sometimes... He has Bozo errors. He's not always been going to ball. It's weird because in his early days, he was actually a very good passer of the ball. But now he's not. But then today, I thought was his best passing performance. He actually came out and punched crosses, two from corners, which is important because Leicester had six. Has six, six in as they were I just thought this was how we wanted to perform. And for so long, people have been saying, why can't he do this? And you get the hair fans coming and saying, oh, rather than he makes this many saves. No, he does this. He does that. And I'm like, but does it hurt him to come off his line every now and then? Then today we see the benefits of it. <laughs> it makes him a better goalkeeper. But they then next game, if he goes back to doing the same stuff he usually does, they'll be like running off this pawns for months. And I'm like, just surely as a fan, you want your player to do better. So I, I, I don't get it. But I was happy with him today. To I genuinely Sorry. was happy. Wait, you said to interrupt. Before you go back to analysing the game, I just want to ask you a question. Um, which keeper would you rather have right now in their current form? De Gea or Danny Ward? 
Oh my god. <laughs> um, now, let, let's be serious in it, but I just want to. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'd, I'd say the hair. I wouldn't go that far. Danny Ward is really bad, really, really bad. Because <laughs> you know how far your gender stretches in it. That's it. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I, I don't even think it's a gender lap. Partly, sometimes it can be like that, but in general, I have genuine criticisms of the hair, and I, I praise him when he does well. So that's when you know it's not really a massive mm. agenda. I always praise him when he does well. It's just. There's so many things he doesn't do, and then people gaslight you on it. Yeah, tell me what you think about the game now, because yeah, it's about time you go through it. First half, second half. Yeah, so first half, we first few minutes we were on top. Then Leicester just it was really chaotic in midfield. You know what Leicester are like, they're a really high intensity team, anyways, but they were quite naive. They but we just kept letting them walk through us, get shots in transition. De Gea made some unbelievable, like genuine, no, not camera saves, like genuinely unbelievable saves. And he was, oh, yeah. he, he was keeping on it. I was in it. I'll be real. He was keeping us in it. We were really poor. Other than that, that Fred Sabitzer midfield pairing is just too chaotic. You need, and this is where I say we miss Casemiro. Casemiro just half of those attacks don't happen. Casemiro cuts them off before they start and probably turns them into attacks for United because he's just he's that good defensively. He's I, yeah, I like to describe him as. Would say he does it basically all in one, just cuts off and it starts straight away. Yeah. 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 I, I like I refer to Casemiro. People see him as quite a chaotic player, but I, I like to describe him as the calm within the chaos because when the chaos starts to ensue, he's the guy who keeps his head level, who knows where to be, where to put the fires out, what what to stop. His brain operates on a different level defensively to any player I've ever seen in that position. He's just he's so smart, and because of how aggressively he tackles and dis- breaks everything up, I think people don't realize how smart he is sometimes, but. That's what we missed. Leicester walked through us, but they didn't finish their chances and they were too naive. I always say Old Trafford is one of the worst places in the world to come and play that higher line if you don't have elite transition defence because Rashford will just run behind you yeah. and score in this current vein of form. And that's exactly what happened. You know, we turned the ball over. It was brilliant play from Sabitz to win it back, actually. Get it to Bruno. Bruno's pass was good. Rashford, easy goal. Half time, so I was like, half time, bad performance, but we're a goal ahead. Make some changes second half. I wanted the Sancho one. I wanted it to be for Weghorst rather than Garnacho, but <laughs> <laughs> Weghorst was doing nothing. Garnacho was making some very good runs, but getting ignored. Then second half, Sancho comes on. We played him in that 10 role. He kept Bruno on the right, which was actually quite nice. Now, generally, I'm not a massive fan of Bruno on the right because whilst he's got a good creative pass, it just limits him a bit and it limits the team in the sense of we didn't have a lot of width. But today it worked because all he needed to do was play that pass. And Leicester, like I said, very naive performance defensively. Mm. Sancho came on and just added this level of control to our performance. He pressed hard, combined with everybody. He was aggressive in terms of trying to make things happen. And we gave him runners. That's the, that's the big difference. We gave Sancho runners. The Rashford goal was just, I'll be so real. I don't know how that was inside. I'm, I still yeah, don't know how the side, I, but... I was like, this is United of old, so Alex Ferguson. E.G. Moe, that, that paper <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take Rashford, that uh, goal. Then the third goal, Sancho's like... You know what, actually, I want to shout out Rashford for that third goal because we won the ball. Rashford picks the ball up. He drives inside. Usually, he'd work a yard on his man, shoot from 30 yards, and it would go to nobody. I remember his best Ronaldo gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he passes to Sancho, who's in zone 14, just outside the box. Sancho, Bruno's on the right, making runs. Sancho, you know what pass he's going to make, but he disguises his passes so well. So he plays that pass to Bruno, then crucially makes the run into the box after the pass. 
Bruno plays about Tim, easy tapping. And that's what I love about Sancho. He's not just like, he'll play the pass, he'll play the pass and then he'll move. His off-ball movement is so underrated. He's just so spatially intelligent. And after that, Leicester were leaking chances for fun. Sancho, him and Wan-Bissaka had the crowd going, ole, 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 at one point in the corner with these lovely... I forgot about Ten Hag, you know, he even got a Wan-Bissaka player. Right. <laughs> this is Sancho's quality, man. He can make anyone look good. I think that Sancho goal was your best goal. When I watched that goal, I was like, yeah. Like, you can just see what Ten Hag has got going on at United. Like, that was the epitome of, like, you know, like, passing patterns. Like, it was just straight to him, straight to him, straight to him. It was like, it was almost like one touch all the way up the pitch. It was just the a other one was like, like, It reminded me of a City goal, honestly. Yeah. The other one was like, Rashford just runs in behind the high line. Classic. But this one was generally, we broke him down with these just quick, smart passes. Yeah. Uh, that's the definition of a team goal there. Like yeah. everyone was involved from the transition, build up everything. Like it was just a genuinely great goal. And I was there happy was, with Sancho as well. There was another one where Sancho should have had an assist. He kind of got the ball centrally. He drove out the then laid it off to Weghorst, who was 1v1 against the goalkeeper. He missed. But Weghorst is a fridge. Yeah, we need to talk about Weghorst's performance. That was that's like the funniest performance I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they were trying to feed Weghorst as well so many times, isn't it? I've got a question here. What is Weghorst meant to be a target man? Because when I watch him play, he doesn't even do that well. So what is he like? What is he meant to be? Because his best performance was as a false 10. Like Ten Hag made up a role for him. What is he? So I don't actually think Weghorst, he's not scored, but in most games, he's not been that bad. The thing for him is, right, he's six foot six, but he plays more like he's 5'10 in that. He likes to kind of avoid the contact rather than use his size. He likes to fall into feet, lay off. He's not fantastic in the air. He does make runs too, and that's one valuable thing about him. He works really hard in terms of his pressing, but he's very much kind of like a ball to feet forward. And Martial is better at that. I think once Martial comes back from injury, hopefully stays fit, um, we'll realise Martial is much better. You know, some, yeah, some of your fans are saying that vocals is better than Martial. Yeah, for me, I think it's, it's skin colour, isn't it? But we move. <laughs> Wegos does a lot of good, and in terms of his movement, he's probably better than Martial. But Martial, if Wegos is primarily a ball to feet forward, then Martial is just doing much more in that regard. But I don't think Wegos has been that bad. But today he was he was really bad. Yeah, your, your attacking coach needs to just sit him down and get him watching some Peter Crouch tapes, bro. Like. Peter Clark was exactly the same. He was a six foot seven or whatever forward that didn't, you know, play yeah. too much like one. Yeah, they just need to I get think, to watch that, bro. I think the high, I think the highlight of Wickhorst's game has to be that failed bicycle kick he did in the second half. I just out laughing when I saw that. Uh, I think um, a part that we have to talk about. I mean, been holding off talking for a while. Has to be Marcus Rashford. I've got oh, a few yeah. things to say before we move on to other people saying their bit. But yeah, Marcus Rashford, I think he's had a very, very good season. I think for me and for anybody that is watching, for me, he's been the best left winger in the league this season. I don't think that's a debate right now. And for me as an Arsenal fan, it takes a lot to say that. Um, yeah, the way he's been playing in terms of just his general movement, even his heading has improved. Like, he's improved to the point where you can now see that he's even comfortable playing as a number nine recently. And that's something that in previous years, when you see Rashford's going to play as a nine, you're like, oh, no, this is it. You're going to get crowded out. Nothing's going to happen. Like, he's making a nuisance of himself. Um, 
in terms of his move from out to in, has always been good, but it's been to a point where he's almost been like unplayable. And since the World Cup, he's now gotten 16 goals in 17 games, which is just unbelievable. Like, just unbelievable. Um, I think my question for Rashford is now, you know, if United do get a striker in the summer, it will be interesting to see how they adapt to playing with him or if Rashford has to adapt to them. For me, they should be adapted to Rashford in the form that he's in and for what I think he'll continue to be. And I just can't believe that Southgate didn't even play this guy at all. Like, as not play, but he didn't start him. Like, Rashford and tackle was the formula. So easy. I think my question at this point, to be honest, is do you, does United, do United need a striker anymore or should you focus on getting a winger to accommodate Rashford? Because the form he's in, it would be a shame to, like, kind of mess that up, introducing another striker now and then... You know, like that ruining that dynamic dynamic you've got going on at the moment. I feel like the way he's playing at the moment, you should cater towards that instead. Well, I actually think he could be our long-term nine. I thought this season it was always more of a short-term solution, but he came through as a centre. Well, he played anywhere across front three, but he broke into the team as a centre forward. There's actually a story of under Van Hal where first half he hadn't scored. He was playing a centre forward. One Van Hal told him remain within the width of the 18-yard box. Second half he scored, but Right now, as a striker, his fundamentals are good at a level that had not been before. So before, he always had the running in behind and it was useful in transition. But now, like Kara said, his headings improved, his box moves improved. You see nice little micro movements to create space. His header against Leicester, not Leicester, Leeds, actually, there was a little shove on Maximilian Wolver just before he made the run away from him to get the space. And it's just little things like that. Most people wouldn't notice it, but... That is what makes top strikers. And I think Rashford can be that striker. His hold-ups improved, his link-ups improved, his decision-making is better. And I think Rashford at striker solves the left wing problem because then you have Sancho on the left, Garnacho coming through to Rashford is your striker. Personally, I would sign Evan Ferguson from Brighton as like an understudy striker. And then He's I would buy a right winger because Anthony is not always available and I have other things to say about Anthony. <laughs> That would be best for another time. I really wish Kevin was here today because the way right. he was to me was like the second one of Neymar. I couldn't believe it. But can I, I see what he offers to this team, but his actual inherent quality level, I or at his ceiling, I I question. Yeah. Did you know what you're gonna say? Um, I was gonna say, um, I think Rashford has benefited the most from this Ten Hag arrival because think about it. before Ten Hag came. Like he had Van Hal, who obviously brought him through, like, and he was really good on um, Van Hal. Then he went to Mourinho, whose methods weren't weren't entirely getting the best out of him. Then he went to Ole, who is not really a coach at all. So you know, (laughs) yeah, you know, like career to be honest. So you know, Ten Hag is really the first coach he's ever had. Is tried. Wait, if you got Ranić, by the way. Oh yeah, Ragnik. We, we don't need to talk about Ragnik. We don't need to talk about Ragnik. Because Ragnik, Ragnik was like, oh, Rashford, you can leave. We we can we can skip Ragnik for the yeah, Ronaldo like Ronaldo summed up Ragnik himself. He's not a coach. <laughs> <laughs> but to come back to my point, like Ten Hag is the first coach who's actually tried to improve him. And you can see that the work is paying off because this is the best Rashford has looked in ages. 
Mm-hmm. And it raises the question, imagine if Rashford had like competent coaching from from his young age. Like imagine the player could be now. Yeah. If that Saka's coaching from the age of 20 years, it would be a different story completely as well. And imagine if he didn't have to go through that period where Ole was there and was being overplayed, like having to play for hip injuries. All of that set him back a little bit. And I feel like that's where that 18-month dip in form came. And everybody was writing him off, saying that, oh, yeah, like he's washed at 25, like he's done. I feel now, like, sadly, also, sorry, sorry, Yeah, I feel like now that he's actually got an actual coach that knows what they're doing, knows how to bring the best out of a player's potential and recognise where to utilise their strengths now, we're seeing what Rashford has always been, essentially. Like, I feel like all those seasons before, it was a false representation of his ability because he was being overplayed, they were moving him around all the time. He wasn't getting that one-to-one attention in terms of coaching, whereas now we're seeing that player that he could be. And again, he's only 25. Like He's still got another three years before he peaks, essentially. So there's a lot more to come from him. I think, sadly, a lot of people, partly to do with that um, that dip in the last couple of seasons, but also partly just they don't like the kind of player he is and that his decision-making has been inconsistent in the past. I think there's a stigmatised view of Rashford by some people, even amongst United's fan base, which I really hate. Like, they just, they almost want him to fail. And I, I kind of don't like that. Even with this celebration thing, people digging up Ruben Neves doing it in the championship. No one cares about Ruben Neves. One person is copying Ruben Neves' celebration. Like, it's not that... And it's the fact it angers so many people that it gets called Rashford celebration that like he did the celebration and people started doing it. Of course, it's going to get called Rashford celebration. Yeah, but it's just that's just an example. They almost want him to fail, sadly. Yeah. It's weird. Um, I'm gonna yeah, I think yeah. we should for time's sake. Um I want to move on and talk about two more things before we move on from United. So one of them is United have got two big games coming. Um, so whenever you guys are listening, um, we have the game against Barcelona. Now, the first game obviously ended in a 2 all draw at the Camp now, which is a good result, to be fair, mm-hmm. considering what is to come. And they've also got the game against Newcastle, where, lucky for them, Loris Karius is going to be in goal. <laughs> so, Apparently yeah. Oh, way that guy still has a career, fam. Say what? There's no way that guy still has a career. Loris Arias. He's like their third choice, yeah, because Nick Pope got the red card and I think... Um, um, that's like, um, he, is, he can't play because he's cup tied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is Loris Karius... Are you going to say useless? Loris Karius is apparently injured, so it might be Mark Gillespie in goal. <laughs> eh? Who's that? <laughs> that's exactly it. Some NPC. Who's that? <laughs> That sounds like a 57 bronze card. Like, what? <laughs> oh, my God. United are so lucky. <laughs> so that's, Too lucky, that game is ending You know what, though? In general, with Newcastle, even if they had Pope, right, I think they're a defensively very strong side, but moments win you games in matches like this, and the only guy I see producing a moment like that for Newcastle is Sam Maximan, who, I'll be real, is scary when he gets the ball. Like, when he gets the ball, I get, I get shook. He, he... Bro, sorry. Just to pause, yeah? I just checked. Mark Gillespie's FIFA rating is 67. <laughs> if you lose to them, 
I'm so sorry. None of you are living this town. The only night yeah. I know will yeah. live in London. If you lose to Newcastle, I will accept every joke at our expense if we lose to Newcastle with Mark Gillespie. Oh, my man's a shiny bronze. No, I, I want to find his reflexes in that. Um, goalkeeper diving 68. Goalkeeper uh, kicking 64. Uh, goalkeeper positioning 67. Oh, my word. This, this is actually so bad. United cannot lose to this, even as acceleration is 34. Nah, if you guys manage to lose to this guy, I will never ever let you live this down. <laughs> 34 acceleration. So you're telling me to hit his top speed, it's going to take him a full half of football before he gets <laughs> literally. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, we, we got it. San, 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 Sancho is turning up. So, yeah, who are you? Um, you were talking about Sir Maximum before I interrupted you, Yusuf. So, yeah, he's the only guy on Newcastle's team I see producing a match winning moment, and he's a guy who scares me when he gets the ball because you it's almost impossible to win it off him. He's so quick, he's so strong, he uses his body well, the ball just sticks to his feet. He's so skillful. Like, he for me is one of the best wingers in the league. I'm sorry, in in, in on the left, he's one of the best. You're scared, you're more scared of San Maximum now than Almiron in this form. Almiron's on a bit, his form died down a bit in terms of goal scoring, but yeah, I'd say I'm more scared of Sir Maximan because I think Almiron's a really good player, don't get me wrong. And I like that he's improved, but Sir Maximan is just, yeah, he gives you that guy. Yeah, I think Almiron's a purple patch, to be really honest with you. I'll be honest. I had him at FPL for a bit because, you know, the purple patch was hitting. <laughs> no, he's a good player, but Sir Maximan is just like, his level is so high. I, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Sir Maximan, I have to say. Like I'm always a fan of players who take the man on and like try to make something happen. I think that's my favorite profile winger, actually. Mm-hmm. Why do like, you like Foden? He's just so good at dribbling past players, creating chaos. Even if his end product isn't entirely there, like he's still so so dangerous. So why do you, why do you like Foden? <laughs> you know what? On the topic of Foden, let's talk about that City game. You know. Junior, yeah, let's let's talk about that junior because uh, for well, a long time there have been comparisons between Foden and Saka, and it's like it's very clear to see now that you, you know we shouldn't be comparing them. I don't think we should be comparing them personally. I feel like Saka is very much the better player. Uh, I feel where did I start with that game? Um, <laughs> well, we started like with that game. I think that game is comfortably our best game we've played in quite a while because a common complaint I've had of this season is that we've looked too laboured, we've looked slow and predictable. But with with the last game, like we played Grealish, Foden, and we looked dynamic. We looked like the city of old for quite a while and we were creating consistent chances. And obviously, Bernardo scored that wonder goal. But... The theme of that game is just that we were wasting so many chances. And with Foden especially, <laughs> I think everyone... Yeah, like 20 chances, <laughs> Like the one where he's one-on-one one with the keeper and like he trips over the ball and just miss, Like just completely wastes the chance. You have to sweat it to Haaland. <laughs> That's mad. And there was another one with Haaland, in fact, where like he hit the post... The ball bounced back to him, and he somehow managed to kick it over the bar. Like, yeah, that was mad. Scoring. What do you think of Jack Grealish's form so far? Though I feel like it's a bit topsy turvy. You know, he scores so in the game. Before, you know, this guy on Twitter, his agenda on Jack Grealish. We have to talk. <laughs> What's his agenda been? Yeah, you have to apologize. 
<laughs> all right, right. With Jack Grealish, I admit I wasn't the biggest, I've not been the biggest fan of his style. But since the World Cup, he's been playing at a really good level. Like, I have to admit that. I have to swallow my humble pie and admit I was wrong on that. Like, he just looked like, he just looks like he's settled in so much more. Yeah. Like he's playing, it looks like he's a pep player now. Whereas before, it just looked like he had imposter syndrome. He didn't feel like he belonged. Yeah. Especially the last game, he was really good. He was making things happen. He was driving at the defense, which is always something I appreciate. And recently, he's come up with some big winners. I feel like recently, he's looked more like the 100 million player that we bought. And uh, if this one continues, I'll definitely say, I'll definitely admit I was wrong on it. <laughs> but where do you feel like his best role is? Is it as a 10 or as a left winger? Because obviously, when he was at Villa, everyone knew him as a number 10. But then he came to City and he's been played as a winger. Um, In this system, I think, wing, I think the winger position is really the only place he can play. Because we don't play with traditional 10s like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. just playing number eight anyway. So. Yeah. Another thing I want to talk about as well with City is the signing of Haaland has one like everyone talking about, but in terms of like, oh, like, did he make the team worse or whatever, or this and that? It's like, I find it interesting because I, there's moments where I feel like, yeah, like maybe he did make the team worse because like you guys were doing great with a false nine or whatever. But then there's times where it's like, mm, did he make the team worse or is it the fact that you've lost? you know, your typically explosive wingers. And if Haaland had players like Sane there, I think the title race would look very different. So what do you think is the issue of, you know, Haaland not converting as many chances as he did initially when he first came, you know, three hat-tricks straight away off the bat, and then the chances started to sort of dry up? Like, what do you think is the issue there in terms of unlocking his goal-scoring potential? Um, all right. So with Haaland, I feel like the main issue... The issue that isn't really being highlighted is that we don't create nearly enough for him. And it's because as a possession team, you know, we don't always look for the final ball. We always, we look to like build it up slowly, get in the box and, you know, for the cutback and score. But with Haaland, he's the sort of player who makes runs all the time. Like, but our players don't really search for him, you know? And I think that's, that's a big issue that we've had. And it was sort of rectified in the asking game. Sorry to interrupt, but I saw something that was very interesting, which I think you must have seen, Junior, and I don't know if you've seen as well, Denzel, but um, Henri was doing some very good analysis during the Champions League midweek on Erling Haaland, and he was saying that sometimes it's a case of that your striker has to adapt to his teammates, but at the same time, his teammates also have to adapt to how they play. And for those that have not seen the video, I'll kind of explain. Um, what Henri said was that you know that with De Bruyne, he's got the capability to play any sort of ball, whether it's you don't want to cross it from a half space or thread a through ball, he can play any sort of ball in the book. While someone like Bernardo yeah. Silva, someone that is more capable of doing, let's say, one twos or you know, like just you know, a little combination play in it, or mm. one as well is not someone that. Um, as really as good as he is, he's not someone that you will see doing De Bruyne-esque crosses, basically. Yeah. But then at the same time, it's also for Haaland to learn how his players like to play and adapt to their style of play. And Henri used an example of how with um, Freddie Lundberg, let's say, 
he's someone that could only do like one type of cross. So he needs to alter his movement to suit that. And as someone like a Burkamp, he knew that like the Bruyne will find him anywhere, basically. So it's a case of teammates adjusting to each other. And that's always a difficulty for any new signer, regardless that, you know, you have to adapt yeah. to your teammates and they have to adapt to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because I feel like when Haaland was at Dortmund and he had Sancho with him, he was very used to, you know, running into empty space and latching onto that fruit final through ball. Whereas in the Premier League, completely different animal. You're not going to get that kind of space to be running through all the time and expecting that through ball. And as well, like, you're not always going to get that free header because, you know, you're playing against taller centre-backs. You're playing against much more compact defences. You're playing against a lot more low blocks. Like, in the Bundesliga, defending is very suspect in terms of, like, oh, I don't know why, but almost everybody plays a high line, whether they can run or not. Everyone plays a fucking high line. And then once Union Berlin played, a deep block and I look where they are yeah. <laughs> like, like, I saw something the other day Upper McConnell got sent off in the ninth minute and he was the last man back on like a high line like, and I was asking myself like how is that even possible how do you get in that position in the ninth minute of the game like it's incredible yeah I feel like just the, the stark comparison is day and night so I feel like Harlan is probably still adjusting to that defensive change in terms of how teams set up in Premier League because this is probably his first time having to face such a varying contrast in defence. Like, he was used to just... He knows every week he's going to be facing a high line. Like, all he has to do is run in behind and rely on, you know, his positioning and his pace. And he can muscle most defenders out of the way. Whereas now, like, he's facing up against guys like Dan Byrne, like a six-foot-six guy playing left-back. Like, it's completely different. So he's got to adapt to that as well. And as well, like you were saying, He's got to learn what passes his own teammates prefer and how to find himself in the box to, you know, get onto the end of that as well. Even like, I'm going to say, even like when he was at Dortmund, players like, um, players like Guerrero, who's the left-back who gets so many assists, Guerrero, Marco Royce, Fulgen Hazard, Gio Reina, all these players, they knew, like, Everything was just filtered towards get the ball to Haul- uh, to Holland, so they have to like you know adapt to how he wants to play. Well, at City, you've got so many world class players who want things to be played a certain way. Now he's at City, where instead of having Guerrero, he's got an inverted left back, which I think also yeah. brings me on to another point. I'm going to ask you, Junior, what do you think of this whole thing of what do you think of Cancelo leaving and it resulting in you playing Bernardo Silva at um, left back? Well, obviously, Cancelo left because of like disagreements in the dressing room. And Pep and the management must have decided that it got to a point where the only solution was to let him leave. So in that regard, I understand why he left. But on the other hand, we're short left back. And now we have to play Bernardo there. And while he doesn't vert well, he's great in possession. He ain't no defender. So... <laughs> <laughs> and we, yes. saw that, we saw that in like the City game where Sako was just giving him such a tough time. I'm honestly surprised he made it to halftime like with, with only a yellow card. Was, he was getting turned inside out. He was getting like moved everywhere. And the one bad thing with having Bernardo left back is that it reduces our midfield depth by, by default. Yeah. We've got Bernardo, we've got Gundogan, we've got De Bruyne, and we've got Rodri. 
So all four of our midfielders are essentially playing at once. So if for whatever reason any of our midfielders get injured, that's another slot that we have to like. If Rodri got injured, your title race. I'm so sorry. Done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if Rodri gets injured, our backup is Calvin Phillips, who need I remind you came back from the World Cup overweight despite not doing anything in the tournament. He came back overweight. Yeah, overweight, yeah. yeah. Pep was pissed that he was overweight. Yeah, did he not see like, did he not see the presser and everything? No, I did not know this was happening. Came back, I hope you're taking the fight. You must have missed it. Yeah, in the media, they were saying that, oh, he was overweight and that. No way. I was wondering why I haven't seen him play that much. To be fair, he did sort out the issue relatively quickly, but he's just been plagued with so many injuries this season. And for a backup, that's not ideal. Yeah. The whole point of a backup is that you need to be available at a moment's notice. Yeah, I've said this multiple times. Like, the point of a backup is to be robust, available, reliable. And so far, Phillips isn't that. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. if Wadri um, were to somehow get injured by any means necessary, I feel like our Tigers would take a severe blow. Yeah, I'm going to say, um, was this more of just a general question now? So, in terms of how the table looks... Since the Forest game where you guys didn't expect to draw, but obviously Gibbs White putting a lovely ball for Chris Wood and now it was 1-1, which I was so <laughs> guessed about that. When I saw that going, I was too guessed. But aside from the point, now you're um, two points behind us with, and we've got a game in hand on you. So we've got the Leicester game and the Everton game, which is our game in hand to go. Um, how do you see the title race panning out for you? Like... Are there any points where you think it might be won or lost? Or, I don't know, what are you thinking? Um, we still have top... No. Um, the one game that I'm scared of, the one game that I'm absolutely terrified of, Crystal Palace. <laughs> like, every single season, that field, those guys give us a really tough game. Even in our title-winning season, we've dropped a couple of points to them. So, it's going to be tough, even if they're not the best this season. We've obviously got you guys at the Etihad, so that's... That's going to be a key, another key game again, which, to be honest, I never bought into all of this hype that this game decides the title. Like, even if we won that game, let me tell you now, as much as I'd have been extra gassed today, I don't think that would have decided the title already. Like, I mm-hmm. think people are going too deep, but, like, some certain certain United fans are doing victory laps after the City game was finished. They're like, oh, Gary Neville was right. I saw certain <laughs> man in the profile picture, Gary Neville. Kevin was in the group chat saying, Carissa, rise. Like, oh, Peckham Reds, they were chatting too much, but we moved. And as well, um, Junior, your next game is a Champions League game with Leipzig. Do you feel yeah. like that's a game you can win? Like, how do you feel going into that? Well, with City in the Champions League, um, our record is subpar, to put it kindly. So... But I feel like we're better than Leipzig. Like, we have more quality than Leipzig. It would be really disappointing if we were to go out to crash out. And to be honest, we've already gone out of the Champions League in almost every way possible. Like, we've gone out to Monaco. We've gone out to Liverpool. We've lost in the final to Chelsea to Kyle Havertz. (laughs) (laughs) I know you're vexed about that as well. He said that was so much hate in his voice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, no, I, mean, I was so pissed off that night like 
I could I couldn't sleep. Like <laughs> it was so it ate uh, it ate like my soul that we let Kai Havertz score the win in the Champions League final, and now he's dead with like. We gave this guy relevance in the footballing world, and that will forever pain me. Um, Mason Mount was having a generational Champions League campaign, and I think that swiftly moves us on to Chelsea. Um, so Chelsea against Southampton, I'll say what I thought of it, but then Denzel can also talk more. Um, so that was a very interesting game. I think, you know, Chelsea actually had quite a few chances, and I think what's been a theme of the Potter era, um, Denzel's smoking his elf bar because he's tired. <laughs> I've gone for it, man. Like, I'm just, yeah. Go on, Karis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, the way it was is like, you know, uh, Southampton started really well, like, in the early minutes. Um, Peppering us. Yeah. And then it got to a point where I think um, Adam Armstrong had the ball. Is that Adam or Stuart Armstrong? I get the mixed up. I can't remember. Anyway, um, Armstrong had the ball in midfield and Aspie does some dumb tackle in what we call James Ward Prowse territory and yeah. you know what happens when he gets the ball That's in that area every time and when I saw him when I saw that foul I just got up and I left the room because I knew it was going to happen <laughs> you actually left the room bro I left the room I just went upstairs I was like cool like it's going to be one no it is what it is I just knew <laughs> and once he fouled him I was like saying that in that game's done like, it's just yeah it is what it is I just like I wasn't even upset. I just accepted my fate for what it was that once we conceded a foul in that 18-yard box area and James Ward-Prowse walks out to it, like, he's like the most prolific free-kick taker ever, basically. Like, I just knew. Like, he scored 17 Premier League free-kicks, which is crazy. Oh, that really? I think only Juninho has a better rate, like, all-time. Yeah, he's just, he's not real when it comes to free-kicks. And the worst part as well was, like, it was Kepa's near post and he still couldn't save it. I think that's what kind of pissed me off more as well. But I was like, you know what? It's Kepa. Like, I'm not going to complain. It's Kepa. Like, I was pissed because I wanted Kepa FPL points, didn't it? But he moved. But yeah, just like the whole thing in general, like there's a lot to talk about, but in terms of... um, just what, it was, what was mad about that free kick was that you had a lot of man in the wall, of course, because, you know, mm-hmm. it's James or Cross. The way he struck it is like, it had a lot of height. Like, Went over the wall, like just about went over the wall, like it was very like minuscule, and then yeah. it dipped in the last moment into a bottom corner, which was crazy. I just I don't know how he does it, bro. Like he's just yeah, free kicks is it's his specialty. Like once he's on the ball, just forget it. You can put the whole team in that wall. He's gonna score, bro. He's going yeah. to score. To him, free kicks are like penalties. Yeah, yeah, honestly. He's just happy to take it. It doesn't matter where he is. He's like, all right, cool. I have a crack at it. And it's going to go in. I think the thing that annoys me is what I've seen in our last three games. Like, as much as we're talking about the Southampton game, I want to go back to the Fulham game as well. Just talk about everything. Mm. When we played Fulham, it just looked like 11 strangers. Like, Kukurea was pissing me off. The way he kept ignoring the <laughs> I kept telling Karras, like, bro, if this continues, I'm going to smash my TV. Because... <laughs> He was getting skinned every time. Like, he'd step up and leave the defensive line, get beaten by, who was it, Tete or something, and then there's, like, now there's no left-back. He's just Isn't so... he, like, the most defensive, like, full-back in history as well? It's just, bro, like, he's so defensively inept at the moment. I just don't know what his problem is. And he just, for whatever reason, refused to pass to Mudrick in that game. So Mudrick was just standing there flicking his bangs. 
And then Mason Mount was, for whatever reason, occupying the same half space that Mudrick's meant to run into. So now you've got two people that are trying to both run into the half space and now he's been frozen out and then he got subbed at half time. But then Potter was saying that oh, he was playing through a cold or something. I was like, cool, fair enough. Then it comes to just like, you know, the Dortmund game. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have seen the, the clip I'm going to talk about, but when it was a through ball and Havertz ran into the defenders. <laughs> at that point, I just said, you know what? I give up. Like, I give up. You had all that open space to run into. Bro, where were you running to? Like, I, I just want to know what he thinks. Um, I've still got that Chelsea shirt from you that you haven't collected yet. You need to collect oh, it. Just, just put it in the bin, man. <laughs> you have to collect it. Like, I'll collect it at the end. Of, I'll collect it when Potter gets that. How about that? So, Denzel, I want to ask, what are your thoughts on Havertz? My honest, genuine thoughts? Yeah. I could write a dissertation on this guy. I just feel like, honestly speaking, I don't know if it's like personal problems or whatever. I just feel like he's only, what, 20? How old is he? 23? Yeah, something like that. I honestly believe he's just, he's not built for the Premier League. I just don't think he's built for the Premier League. I feel like Bundesliga was perfect for him because it's not as physical. You know, he had all that space to run into and do all that. But in the Premier League, it's too fast for him. It's too physical. He's just, he's not suited for this game. Like, if you watch Havertz when he plays, his problem is a lot of the time, he'll come through on like, okay, for example, I think it was the... I think it was either a Dortmund game or the Fulham game. There was an opportunity he had where all he had to do was put his head down and lace it. It wouldn't go. He tried to fucking chip it. (laughs) (laughs) He tried to chip it. And at that point, I was like, what the hell are you doing? In that position, the chip is the worst shot option available. And you chose that. (laughs) I can't point out something he's great at. And that's the thing that confused me. And as well, as like, there's another issue of what's his best role? Because we played him as a 10. He stunk it up. We played him as a striker and the whole time as well. stunk it up. Yeah. And then he goes yeah. in interviews saying that, yeah, that he likes to play as a striker, like he can do it, he can adapt. I said, cool, put your money where your mouth is. He drops another <laughs> zero out of 10. We played him as a winger, stunk it up. He's got completely frozen out by fullback. So it's like, where do you play? I'm going to say, um, by the way, guys, if you haven't heard his voice for a while, um, you used to have to go to something. So um, yeah. yeah, it was good to have him on. And no worries. Yeah, we'll have him on in the future, of course. But yeah, going back to the Chelsea and Southampton game, I think one thing that was just very pertinent was just Sterling. The poor Chelsea finishing that game. Like Sterling missed a few chances. Um, Junior, that's your guy. Junior, that is your guy. I didn't watch the whole game. So I heard he was I heard he was right. I heard he created a couple of chances. He, he was... did, but he just for whatever reason, since after the World Cup, basically, he's been unable to score in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah. Like at all. Like he had at least two clear chances and he just couldn't score. There was one where he played like beautiful combination play with I think it was Havertz, and then he just side footed it into I think it was a defender. I think Lavia cleared it and then Another great cross came in. He headed it straight into the keeper's arms. It's just like, yeah, I'm getting tired of it because like, I know he's a great player. Speaking of Lavia, he, he bossed Enzo as well. They'll call him on Twitter and Zonzi. <laughs> no, they can't do that. Enzo had a good game. They can't do him like that. Enzo, <laughs> since we've signed Enzo, he's been our best player. 
like even in this bad game, he still got like a seven point four rating. I think Enzo and Madueke have been quite good. Yeah, like they're yeah. definitely players that I'm. They're young, and I know there's more to come from them. Like I'm happy with them. Like I'm not expecting too much from Madueke. He's just getting a run of games in the first team, and Enzo, like he's not being played in his optimal role at this point. Where like he, I like he's Enzo. Yeah. He's so good, bro. He's so good. Yeah. Like, do you, do you know what it is as well? He was getting so much stick for the goal that Adeyemi scored um, for Dortmund. Like, what can you do when yeah. someone just passes past you at that pace? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's not his fault. Yeah, um, that's his fault, honestly. Like, yeah. I don't think I don't think many defensive midfielders or even centre backs could have stopped him because, like, Adeyemi is so quick. He's so skillful, and like, if you take him down in any way, that's a red card. So I don't know what could have done there. Yeah, I I wasn't mad at him for that goal because I'd rather he just let it happen than he gets red carded and then he's out. So it's like, but you know who I blame for that goal more, Kepa. Yeah, Kepa got rounded, mad. But again, it's like I've complained about Kepa for so long that I just don't bother doing it anymore because it's like, <laughs> it's like I'm, I'm shouting at a brick wall at this point. So it's like you know what? Sometimes you just have to accept your fate. Like Kepa is our goalkeeper. Cool. When he drops another stinker, I just say it's Kepa. What did you expect? You know, like, there's a lot of Chelsea fans that will see him have like a couple, like you know, camera camera saves, and go, no, like he should be our number one. And like, you, guys are going, you guys are going to get exactly what you deserve. <laughs> Don't worry, keep cheering him on. Yeah, he's our player, whatever. Cool. But if you think he should be our number one, strap in for what's coming for this club, bro. Another guy that's cool. funny as well, man, is um, Mason Mount. Like in the Southampton game, I saw somebody that tweeted they were like Mason Mountain made six passes in 64 minutes before he got yeah. subbed. Yeah. <laughs> like how, bro? How? Six passes in 64 minutes. What are you doing? Cardio sash. Again. How much money does he want, by the way? Huh? How much money does he want? Uh he wants he wants to be our highest paid player. He wants 300k like Stalin. Okay, maybe not 300k. I want to guess it's like maybe 200k or something. Well, sure. From what I've seen, he said that because oh, there's other signings that are earning more or whatever, like, and he wants to show, he wants to feel like the club values him. I will tell you now, Mount, if you're listening to this, bro, right now, we don't value you, bro. Okay? <laughs> I personally do not value you right now. This whole attachment to R, his cob and whatever, listen. We value you, man. At the end of the day, sometimes it doesn't work out at a company, you leave, you go somewhere else. <laughs> this, this unhealthy obsession he has with Chelsea, bearing in mind he's even a Portsmouth fan anyway because he's from Portsmouth, just go, bro. All right. Klopp <laughs> needs road runners like you right now. Go to Liverpool. You do a job there. Stop. Please stop stifling this club, bro. It's enough. Like, people are hanging on to the fact that he was our player of the season for two years in a row. First of all, one of them he shouldn't have won. The one before that season, before last season, he should not have won it. It should have gone to Thiago Silva. Last season, at cool, fair enough. He got double digits and goals and assists. So, like, cool, whatever. But you being player of the season does not translate to what I'm seeing at all. Like, he's dropped back to back to back to back six out of ten performances. And then the one that pissed me off was when we played, um, I think it was, was it Villa we played? And he was hugging, um, what's his name? When it was full time. I was just thinking, what are you doing? Who what? He was he hugging Rice or... It wasn't Rice, bro. He was hugging. Oh, what's his name? I think it was um Consa. Oh, it was the Villa game. Sorry, man. Yeah, bad. he was hugging Ezri Consa at full time, bro. We just we just dropped a stink of a performance, and you're <laughs> hugging him like everyone else around you is dejected, looking at the floor. And you're hugging him, laughing. Like, what are you laughing about? 
His so his sofa score looks so funny because if I find his ratings, Southampton five point six, Dortmund six point seven, West Ham five point eight, Fulham six point four, Liverpool six point eight. So his, his last good game was against Palace, which got seven point four. Wow. <laughs> the thing He's that pisses me off another thing as well is that with Graham Potter as well, and just the whole thing is like this is the way I see it. There's no point in sacking him. I thought like if we sack him, it would be a stupid decision because yeah, if you sack him now, you're just gonna crick, get stuck in that same cycle that we've been complaining about as fans. Like this is not the Abramovich era anymore. We can't keep hiring and firing because that creates the same squad mess that we're currently trying to fix right now. So the only way is like, as much as I hate him because he's a staunch racist, to quote Winston Churchill, when you're going through hell, keep going. <laughs> this is what it is at the moment. Like, we're in hell right now. Just keep going and get to the end. I'd rather let Potter see it out, give him next season as well. If he's not, if he doesn't show me something next season, fair enough. But I feel like so much has changed in the squad. Like, we've spent 400 million in January, bought in about two teams worth of players. They're not going to gel instantly. It's unrealistic. I know that Chelsea fans, they're a very spoiled fan, fan base. You know, we're used to having instant success, even in a bad season with Abramovich, 21 trophies in 19 years. They're That's used right. to winning all the time. But now things have changed. Abramovich has gone. We've got new ownership. We're trying to do things the right way. It's going to take time. Like, fair enough. We're blessed to have owners that expedited that process by spending so much money in January. But you can't expect that to translate to instant results. But I get the frustration. We've had two wins in 15 games, bro. Well, I mean, with Chelsea, like, we've always had a history, as you said, we've always had a history of, like, hiring and sacking managers. And I think it's translated to the fan base because every time a manager goes on, like, a poor run, they want him out. Like, yeah. Chelsea fans don't really don't really get the concept of what a process is or projects. If they, mm. don't, if they don't see instant results, they want the guy gone, regardless of who it is. So, I think as well the problem with the appointment of Potter is that it's so much easier to turn against him because he's not proven himself in any capacity besides Brighton. What he was doing at Brighton was like cool. He did he made something out of nothing at Brighton, but you can't say that oh like he did this at this club and won this. Whereas if we had a manager like let's say like I don't know Ten Hag, who you know he's won stuff like he's won the Eredivisie with Ajax. You could say okay like we know he's a winner like give him time. Whereas with Potter, this is a big, this is the biggest move of his career. Like he's he got thrown straight into the deep end, which is a bit unfortunate, but I get it. he backed himself, said, you know what? I want to take this job at a big club. And as well, I feel like it's also um has wider implications for like how English managers get jobs in the league as well. Because I feel like if Potter flops here at Chelsea, it might be a while before we see like another top English manager at Chelsea again. Whereas Eddie Howe was doing great at Newcastle. If he decided to leave, I would be happy to take him at Chelsea. But Potter was like, after this, where does he go if he doesn't leave? He'll probably get taken by another mid-table club, but he won't get a big top six job again. And as well, well maybe, maybe not at Chelsea, but other teams would be willing to hire English managers. Maybe like yeah, hundred percent. Granted, United is different, but I think after Ten Hag goes, they'll probably try and go for Carrick. So. Oh yeah, I really like Carrick. Like, I think Where's he's manager now? Is it uh, Middlesbrough? They're doing really well right now. Middlesbrough. I think they're like okay. either top or second in the league in the championship. I don't know, but 
Like, I think he's like the only one of like Fergie's like players that have actually have actually been a somewhat decent coach. Mm. One of the few ones that has a brain is mad. Yeah, <laughs> even schools. Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing really well. They're third. Yeah, like you'd expect schools to have a bigger footballing brain, but he didn't I'm translate to magic well at all. So. <laughs> I think another thing I want to say as well before we wrap up with the Chelsea segment is I think there's a lot more pain coming for Chelsea fans and they just have to accept that as well because I feel like obviously, you know, not to blow up Karras's head, but you have to look at Arsenal and look at what happened with Arteta. Like, he was an assistant manager at City and he didn't even... If we're talking about starting points, Potter is at a further place in his career in terms of starting points. At least he was, at least he was a manager at Brighton. Whereas Pep was just an assistant at City. So taking a gamble on an assistant who, okay, fair enough, he's a former player. And, you know, he won the FA Cup's first season, whatever. But then they finished eighth. The following season, all the Arsenal fans were saying, you know, we want to see an improvement. This isn't good enough. Finished eighth again. A large majority of the fan base were fed up saying he needs to go. He's not good enough. You know, they almost made top four, finished fifth. There were people saying, you know what? Because we didn't make top four, he's got to go now, even though he's improved three places in comparison to last season. And then now, this season, from the jump, Arsenal's goal was always top four. They were never going into a season thinking less challenge for the title. I think if you had like camera, if they had another all or nothing again, the conversation definitely would have been, let's get into the Champions League this year and build from there. They just so happen to be so good and in tune with each other that now, they found themselves competing for the title, but I don't think that was ever the aim from the jump. So that's their fourth season in. I feel like if we gave Potter that same chance and patience, knowing that obviously he actually was previously a manager who's had a starting point to build off already, something good will come. Like there's moments where you watch us play, you can see what he's trying to do. Fair enough, the results aren't translating at the moment. But again, you have to consider that there's still players we need to get rid of. We've got Ziyech who doesn't want to be here because we messed up his move to PSG. We've got Mason Mount, who is holding the club hostage at gunpoint over a contract he doesn't deserve. <laughs> We've got a 50-year-old right-back who is, yeah, fair enough, he's basically a club legend now, but we need to ship him off to the Spanish Segunda Division. Um, get him gone, man. If he wants to go to Barcelona, fair enough, they take anybody at this point. They, they're so shameless, they want Aubameyang back for free again. Like, <laughs> come on, man. He's like, like a big club. But yeah, there's so much going on. Like, even as well, like, you know, there's whispers of, oh, like, apparently we might try and sell Koulibaly because he hasn't been what we expected him to be, which is mad. Like, coming in and getting sold one season, one window later is mad to me. If that happens, I'm so sorry. That's a bad move. Like, did he even give him a full season? Like, fair enough, he's been injured here and there. I feel like we should just keep him for now for the experience because obviously Thiago signed another year contract, but we're not going to play this granddad forever, bro. Like, we can't keep relying on him. Yeah. He doesn't have the legs for that. He's an amazing defender, but he's 38, pushing 39, bro. So, yeah, that's all I have to say regarding Chelsea. Calm. Um, yeah, Denzel, if you want to close out, I think this is a good place to end the pod. But before we do that, just want to say a massive thank you. Obviously, Yusuf was here. Thank you to him. Um, thank you to yourself as well, Junior, for coming on as the resident City fan. Definitely. And Hopefully you lot lose this title race as <laughs> but um we will see how things progress, of course. So yeah. 
I mean, it's been another great episode of the BZD podcast. You know, I've been your host, Denzel, with my co-host, Karis. Kevin wasn't here this week, but we had a great standing in Yusuf, who you can find at Inside7 on Twitter. Junior, would you drop your socials for them as well? Um, my at is Raheem 79 Yeah. So he's a big account. I'm pretty sure most of us that listen to his podcast, you already know who he is if you're an avid football fan. But yeah, it's been a great episode. Hope everyone does well. We'll see you again next week. All right. It's been a pleasure being on here.